Hello, I'm Chris Neeland, host of a new podcast, Cult Brand Secrets, brought to you by The Gathering and Evergreen Podcasts. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit and a masterclass for brand and business leaders looking to reap the benefits of cult-like adoration. Each year, The Gathering brings together disruptors from around the globe to learn from and to celebrate the leaders behind iconic brands like Marvel, Skittles, Beats by Dre, Yeti, and the Dallas Cowboys. For the first time ever, this podcast will give you access to some of the exclusive business leader learnings from the gathering's past events. You know, whenever I hear the name Bill Neff, I can't help but smile a little bit. I, I actually don't know Bill all that well, but we've interacted enough for me to know that he is a genuinely good dude. I think that you'll be smiling too by the time that you finish listening to his 2019 gathering speech. In fact, he was so charming and humble and smart at the gathering that he and Yeti were the recipients of the Pinnacle Award, which is sort of like the gathering's People's Choice Award, where we allow the attendees to vote on which of the honorees they like best. As I tour North America and consult with brands about how to better achieve cult-like status, without a doubt, the most pervasive brand that boardrooms and marketing teams want to talk about today is Yeti. That brand is really having a moment right now. And in only a few short years, they have become this amazing cult brand success story. They've really transcended, you know, what was the premium cooler category, which they created. And they've even sort of transcended their origins as a hunting, camping, fishing brand. You're going to now find Yeti on ski hills, at rodeos, and even at surfing competitions. They sell stuff like high-end camping chairs and high-end dog bowls. You know, their branded apparel business has exploded because people want to visibly align themselves with this brand. So in this talk, Bill is going to share a bit about his personal journey, where he spent some time at Under Armour, which by the way is another one of my favorite all-time cult brands. And he's going to share three guiding principles that help inform Yeti's marketing mix. But more than anything else, I want you to experience Bill's character and his personality. He is a rare individual in today's marketing leadership landscape. You know, most of us pretend to have all the answers all the time to any question that someone might ask, but that's not Bill. He doesn't do that. He knows what he knows and he knows what he doesn't know. And his curiosity and his enthusiasm for continued growth and learning is really endearing. And frankly, I hope that it's contagious because the marketing industry would be a whole lot better if there were a lot more people like Bill in it. Have a listen. When I, we first heard about getting this honor, it was great. And then I heard I had to speak at it and that made me really, really nervous. And the reason why it, it made me nervous is because it's, I never know what to actually say. And, uh, and then I got here and, it, and I actually became more nervous because I was sitting here earlier in like the North Face session, if you guys were in it, and Tom is like, 
talking about ROE and, and I was like, this is, it's brilliant. And he's talking about what is literally my favorite marketing campaign right now, which is walls are meant for climbing and like the design is great and everything, but what they're doing in Denver and these places building these walls culturally, like for those people, it's amazing to me. And so I, 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 how do you follow that? And then I find out that Tony Hawk is coming up here next. And then I think like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. and I'm like, well, all right, I'll go back to like my first cult brand experience. Like when did I, not even knowing what the word meant and being like, I, I, I first experienced cult brand with Paul Peralta and Bones Brigade. And like I was a kid in St. Louis, Missouri, of which that energy from California rushed through to Missouri and I was all in on Animal Chin and all in on Paul Peralta. And the only thing in my life, and I'm 44 years old, that I've shadow boxed is a Tony Hawk signed skateboard. It's the only thing in my life that I've ever shadow boxed. And so I'm sitting here and, and I'm like, all right, well, what am I gonna talk about? And I called, Chris and and he's like, all right, this is what this is. These are the do's and don'ts, and part of it is about my journey and why I'm up here today, which is totally surreal and weird, and and a little bit about Yeti and kind of the things. We do a lot of things, but I wanted to kind of touch on three things. It's three things that we do and super unofficial. I've listened to brand visions and I've listened to all these purpose-driven missions and I'm like, man, we need to do that someday, you know? <laughs> it's really important. And, um, and I'm thinking about cult brands and I'm thinking about these words that are coming to mind and I'm like, man, fanatic, loyal, devout, madness. Whoa, like those are like deep words. Like this is serious. And then I started thinking about the other brands here. So I just want to take a moment and it's easy, we're 13 years old. And in that brand cycle or whatever, like it's kind of easy to get those innovators and early adopters on board and they start talking about the product and you're like, all right, you know, and then, but once those majority kind of get in on board and the other majority and you kind of start rolling over and people stop talking about your brand and then God forbid the laggards actually come into your brand and start like, you know, bringing it on board. And I was thinking to myself, that number right there is the number of years the other brands outside of Yeti have been in business. And that is amazing that they can continue to drive cult brand status after that many years of business. That's amazing. And it's something that at Yeti we hope to aspire to one day. So anyway, thank you for having us here. We really appreciate it. When I like want to decompress, I get out into the, like, the world and I walk down maybe a path and I look around and there'll be birds and trees and it's like, man, that's really, really beautiful and you love it and all that stuff. And then like, if you turn my brain over to marketing land, you see it. You see the campaigns and you see the beautiful whatever, the TV things you do with media, whatever we're supposed to do. But what you don't necessarily see is what's underneath the surface, that foundation, the roots of a brand. You don't see that stuff. You feel it. You feel it, you don't see it, you feel it. And that's why I know Paul Peralta isn't a brand, but that's why in St. Louis as a 12-year-old kid, I felt that energy, those roots, man, boom, coming across, it's awesome. And, and so for me, that, that's really what I fixate on. It's what keeps me up at night because, and I've seen brands do this, when their roots start to shrivel up, 
You know how hard it is to pick up trees and try and push them back up and stand them up without roots? It's almost impossible. And so as we get wider and we, as we grow, we really focus on getting deeper and deeper and stronger. And so that's really, really important to me. And so I'll take you back. My personal, it's kind of be a little bit like a Tarantino film. I'll kind of move in and out of my personal life and then what we do at Yeti and, and this and that. So for me, in 2003, I was lucky enough to find a job with a brand called Under Armour. And I was a sales guy. And I was a, one of about eight guys that called on Division I colleges. And we were just a bunch of young kids, including our founder, uh, selling tight t-shirts. And we were, we didn't know any better, but what we were doing and what Kevin Plank fixated on, fixated on was locker room talk, locker room talk, locker room talk. And, you know, and as a 29 year old, I'm, I'm just, I'm just like soaking it in. I'm just happy to be there. Locker room talk, locker room talk. And so if anybody knows or have played sports and they understand the locker room, you understand how sacred that space is. And like, it's a place where you're in with your team and it's a real deal. And so when Under Armour started to go, it was because of locker room talk. And so if you didn't play sports, you probably didn't know much about it. And I was there early enough to where I wasn't part of the 30 or whatever, but I was number 200. But I was there early enough to where all my friends in St. Louis would consistently ask me how my job at Armor All was. And <laughs> it's not Armor All. That's a car thing. We sell tight t-shirts. Under Armour. All right. All right. Whatever. Whatever you're doing. It's science is ridiculous. But that's where, as, as a person, it started to ingrain in me. Like, man, that, I, I didn't even know I was developing as a marketer. I was a sales guy. And what happened to us in Under Armour is once we knew that we were getting kicked off of campuses and our competitors, of which I admire immensely, Nike and Adidas and some of the others, we couldn't get on campus. Our group of team sales turned into sports marketing and I became a marketer. So for us and for me, that real locker room talk example is what I've now transitioned and fast forward to 2015 with Yeti. And I found myself keeping that alive in me. And so for us, one real principle is true partners. And so we rely on partners. And we rely on partners to help us spread the word of mouth. If you have money, you could hang banners. You hang banners wherever you want to if you have money. True partnerships are ones where our product integrates into their need. And so they have a reason for our stuff. And if that doesn't match up, as much as I love the St. Louis Blues, it's probably not a good partnership. So for us, true partnerships, true partnerships. And we find it in individuals, we find it in organizations, we find it in lodges, we find it in conservation, and we find it in places where, where we just try and drive those roots of the brand and roots of the community. And for us, it's like our community marketing team focuses on elite personalities, industry professionals, and hardcore enthusiasts. And we really believe if we're building roots in that top of the pyramid, or whatever you want to call it, then we believe that that chatter will start to happen. We believe in the chatter. We believe in the word of mouth. And then when you start to look at our brand people, and they start to go out and do their 
brand stuff, their marketing stuff they learned in school, then the participants and the spectators, when they become aware of us and they do their research, they find that there's real roots. And they find that there is something to that. There is something to why. Why is Yeti in snowboarding? There is something to that. You know, and so that's incredibly important to us. And so when we do a print ad, we make sure that that's Jackson Hole Ski Patrol and that's our panga. And for all their high angle rescue, they take our panga and they strap it to the top of these lifts. So when they need it, it's there. And when we do an out of home thing, we make sure that if you happen to be in the North Shore and you're walking along the beach and you see a lifeguard stand, there's Yeti Tundras in there. So that surf community, it's really important. But if you don't go to Hawaii or you don't go to the North Shore, you're never gonna see that. And that's okay with us, that's okay. You might see our billboards, you may never see that. But if you do see that, we believe that's what's driving authenticity. That's what's driving it. All right, so I left Under Armour in 2009 with an ego the size of the stage. And I left for this brand called 901 Tequila. And my friend was starting this company. And I'm 35. And I remember telling someone that I was leaving and he advised me not to leave. And he's like, I think you're crazy. And I'm like, dude, take it easy, man. I'm a, I'm a brand builder. I remember saying that to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that though. And I thought I was gonna be rich. But this experience, which was the hardest five years of my life, without a doubt. One, because I have no passion for spirits. I like drinking tequila, but I have no passion to do it. Justin Timberlake, he owned the brand, but he never cared. He didn't care. The whole brand was built up on a potential to sell it, you know? And so there was no realness to the brand. There was no realness to Justin. Justin gets 400,000 likes on one Instagram post. That's a marketer's dream. It's a dream to do that for free and get 400,000 people to say, I like that. And we just, he didn't care. And so for me with Yeti and what I've learned past there, you have to be real. It has to be real. So if you're like, man, we, you know, we, we think we're this and we wanna get into this, it has to be real. Wherever that purpose or vision is coming from, it has to be real. So when we look at kind of the way we communicate with our consumers, we look at it like friendships. We really look at it like friendship. So when we write a tagline, we say, would you say that? Would you walk up to someone and say that to them? And usually it's some poetic like thing that you would never say to a friend of yours. You're like, your friend would punch you in the face if, if you said it to him. And so we try and really talk to someone like, like that. We try and talk to someone. So in our films, if you ever seen one of our films, some people watch them, some people don't. We don't have much product in there. We just tell stories of things that inspire us. And with friends, you go try things. And it's okay to try things and fail. And not that any of this stuff have failed, but we were like, we're sitting around and we're like, let's do a podcast. And no idea how to do a podcast. We don't even have the material. We don't even have the stuff. And we did it. We tried it. And we're trying to figure out how to get people to listen to it now. But they're really cool. And we've, we have like 30 of them in the can and JT Van Zant's our host. And if you know JT Van Zant, he's a fishing guy down on the Gulf Coast. His dad was Towns Van Zant. But we got people like Ethan Hawk and Jimmy Chin and JB Mooney, Bull Rider and all these 
pitmasters, and it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's a really cool story. And what we wanted to do on that, not to get into our podcast thing, but we wanted, our films are like seven minutes, and we wanted to dive in deeper to that restlessness in these people. And so for us, that's really important to us. Another thing that's important to Yeti is our events. So we're doing an event about one in every five days. We do events, usually they're two to three days long. So really we're about out there every single day. And we do not do events for awareness. We do not. So if you come up to our booth, we are not there because we want you to be aware of who we are. We want to talk to you. We want to know who you are. We want to listen to you. And so events like Total Archery Challenge with hunting, that's an old school legacy core group for us. We show up there to communicate with them and hang out and shoot bows. Volvo Ocean Race, we're there to see if we fit in. So we do events on all spectrums. We don't do much of the Volvo Ocean Race, but we do a little bit. And we also, we get there and we talk to people. We see is Yeti involved? I mean, some of these sailors are like saying, I use your product and we're like, really? And we go check it out and see if they really are using our product. So for us, that's incredibly important. Keep it real. Be real with people. Do not find a time to just be there for awareness. And like, you, you are there to communicate. For us in Yeti, we're there to communicate with people. So that leads me to my third principle of Yeti. I, we don't really have these key principles. These are just things that we do. I would say this, and I, say, and I talk about the inches. Kevin Plank used to always say that to me. So he, he was at a formidable years of my, he would always say, don't forget the inches, the inches. And then Roy Cedars, our founder at Yeti, would all, he'd always be like, do not let that person's email be the last email in the exchange. Always email the person back and say thanks. Always email that person back. Be the last person on that thing. And I thought that was cool. And those are the inches. And usually the inches are things that fall out of our campaigns or fall out of our, our peripheral on how we're driving product and how we're driving these things. And so I'm going to give you two examples of the inches and one of them's big. And so Hurricane Harvey, which was horrible, um, hit the Gulf Coast of Texas in 2017. Roy Cedars came up to my desk and to my our e-com director and I were sitting there and he's like, man, we got to do something. He's like, what if we did a whole day one day, all sales, not all proceeds, not all profits, all sales will donate back to the, basically the Gulf Coast initiative. And we're like, that's great. And, but I'm not, the, I'm not the CFO. I'm just like, that's a perfect idea. We should do it. And they end up going back and he goes to the board and he get it approved. So we raised 2 million bucks that day. Biggest day on Yeti.com at that point by far. And... It was incredible. And we were able to donate back to one organization that was a, was a big organization that was doing a lot of things. It wasn't the Red Cross. It was a local Texas through the governor trying to restore, get people back in houses. But the three other ones we donated to was in Rockport, which is a small coastal town. They have this fishing pier and it was destroyed. And the fishing pier in Rockport is as important as the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, period. And so we donated money to get that project going to rebuild that. The other one is this Homes for Displaced Marlins. And Port Aransas is another town that got crushed. And all these workers were moving out of town. Their houses were destroyed. They needed to find works. So they're moving up to Corpus, moving to Houston and doing all these things. 
And this Homes for Displaced Marlin started to buy campers so people could stay there because the school in Port Aransas was going to lose its accreditation because all the kids were moving out and, and getting enrolled in other schools. So we ended up buying like 50 campers and we were able to keep that school and not just us alone, but there's other people. And then Operation Barbecue Relief. And then we did a film on it. But I'm, that happened in 2017. And why I think that was so important is we were sitting there and really thinking about in 2017, by now, like, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. And in three weeks ago, we got an email to our customer service group. And it was a story. And one of our workers there volunteers at her kid's school. And she went in there and she said, she was presenting to a second grade class and the second grade boy walked up to her and said, hey, my dad loves Yeti. And she's like, oh, thanks so much, that's great. And uh, he said, no, uh, Yeti helps people. And uh, she's like, oh yeah, you know, our coolers help you stay out in the wild longer and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, no, my dad says that Yeti, Yeti helps people like you did with the floods. And that's like almost a year and a half later and it's still resonating in a second grade boy, that that dad or whoever is telling that boy. And so those are the inches as far as I'm concerned. Another example of the inches, this is little guy Eddie. And this is an organization called Ordinary Nurses. They help starving babies and mothers in Guatemala. And we don't sell in Guatemala. And this sponsorship request came through a brand manager who does nothing with sponsorships who does nothing with any of this stuff. And she just listened for a second and she heard about it. And so we donated like two cases of Rambler bottles down there, and which is a virtually nothing. And it does, it has no bearing on anything in, in our business really. But like the mom who's having trouble staying up all night to keep the water warm so she could mix formula with it. She was staying up, she was doing kindling and making sure the fire stayed on all night long. She was having trouble. She couldn't sleep at night because of that. Eddie wasn't eating well, all of that. We gave her this bottle and she was able to sleep and we were able to keep this water warm all night long. And the mom called these Rambler bottles magic. And like, that's amazing to me. That, that's incredible. Those little things, our brand manager could have delete but those are the inches. And we talk about roots, we talk about foundations. The surface, they all connect. They all connect. And so what you do over here for ordinary nurses is gonna be felt. It will be felt somehow. Like those dominoes will knock over. Those dominoes will be felt across it. It matters, everything matters, everything matters. You can't be everything to everybody. You got to be focused, but everything matters. And so those roots and how that root system, they start to talk and they start to get super healthy. And then above surface, you have an amazing, amazing forest of awesome stuff. And for us, that's what we think about. And that's what we do. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you for letting us be here today. It was awesome. Before we get started, fair warning to everybody in the audience. I'm a huge Yeti fanboy, so if you don't get good questions in, I might just dominate this whole moderated thing. We'll just talk about what I want to talk about. I'll get us started, though, because I'm selfish like that. You guys are an incredibly humble brand. I, th I feel like maybe 
you should share the stat with everybody that you shared with me <laughs> earlier. How many people do you estimate have their hands on a Yeti product in yeah. North America? And I'm not really a research person, but our research will say in the United States, between 20 and 25% of households will have a- <laughs> Did you hear that? A Yeti product in it. That's one in four. <laughs> Anyways, sorry. He's like too humble. It's like one in four in 13 years. Yeah. Is, that's right, 13 years? Mm -hmm. 13 years, one in four people in North America have their hands on on one of these products. And in, in some, not all coolers. I mean, it could, be, I mean, I have like 40. So like that takes care of my neighborhood <laughs> for the most part, but like, whatever. Still, <laughs> little just a helpful brag from a fan. I find it interesting. The concept of roots is like, such a an enlightened, I think, perspective on how to build a brand. And you guys are 13 years old. We've heard from brands that are Levi's or Carhartt or M&M's uh, who have been around for decades. When you guys talk about staying close to your roots, is that something that's sort of inspired from some of these other brands that have maintained relevance, maintained cult yeah. status for the oh, yeah. long period? Of like time? there aren't a lot of things that we're doing that you're like, whoa, wow, that's unique to Yeti. You know, like we are inspired by well, the brands that are here. We're inspired by brands in our personal life. But this whole model of like hit the influencer or elite, like that isn't anything that's new or gosh, it's been happening for a long time. We just really, really, really believe in it. And we believe that if you think you can talk about your brand better than someone talking about it for you, you're wrong. And sometimes you're like, well, then I hear people being like, you need to own your story. And it's like, all right, well, I, I kind of am in both camps there, but I really do believe in the power of, if I'm gonna come up to you and tell you how good I am, I'll be like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good and all this. You're gonna be like, well, whatever. But if Ryan comes up to you and says, hey, you gotta meet this Bill guy, he's, he's, he's a pretty cool guy. You'll be like, okay, that's cool. And so I really believe in the power of that word of mouth. And I believe in people advocating for you. And until someone above me thinks that that's not right, then I'm gonna hang out at Yeti and try and do that, so. You guys have a really unique approach to how you enter into new categories. I think a lot of organizations will identify a vertical or an industry that they wanna go and be relevant in. And so they'll figure out, okay, who's popular on Instagram in there. Let's go give them a bunch of money and a bunch of swag. What are the major events, you know, televised events? Let's buy all the ads that we can for uh, yeah. anything that gets put on TV. And then let's go sponsor the crap out of it and basically just plaster our logo all over the place. You guys take a little bit of a different approach to generating like authentic relevance in these industries. Talk to us a little bit about how you first approached sailing as a vertical that felt like maybe a place you wanted to play. Yeah, and we're still completely in transition on sailing. We're still just like kind of figuring it out because those huge gunboats, like they don't have coolers hanging out on them. But, you know, the whole idea around sailing is like they do use our products and they use our bottles and they use other things like that. But for us, we just started hearing. We had a sailor that was working at our offices and she's like, you know, the community really likes, uses your product. And when we hear those things and we go out and we investigate and see if that's real, see if it's living in a bubble, see if it, you know, is actually relevant outside of that. And we take a lot of time to go do that. We take a lot of time to figure out if we should be there. 
because if we show up, we, we are not leaving. And I think that's a big thing is, mm. is once we enter, you're stuck with us and we're going we're gonna to communicate with you and we're going to support you in any ways we can. And it, whether it means taking on more conservation or taking on, you know, things that are important to that community, we will support you once we're there. You guys did something interesting where you sort of said, okay, maybe let's try it out. And then just went and supported like junior sale clubs, right? It was not, yeah. it wasn't even like, let's go find the people that are making money doing this. Yeah. Like you were like grassroots on that kind of thing. Yeah. Those are the things that we'll do. And we'll start to set the roots. Cause it's easy. Like I said, if you have money, you can go hang banners at Volvo Ocean Race or America's Cup or whatever. You can go do that if you have money, period. And one day, maybe I'll work for a brand that it seems kind of fun and kind of, you, know, you show up and they roll a red carpet out for you and all that stuff. But for us, we think how we would go with sailing. And if you don't, if you're not a sailor, you don't know these things exist, but there are hundreds and hundreds of marinas that teach you how to sail. It's amazing. I had no idea. It was completely off my radar until you go, go show up at Newport and look for Newport Sailing Company. And you'll find that there's, a hundred little dingy sailboats out there and MetLife sponsors them and they're on the sails, but they're teaching youth to sail. And that's an incredible thing. And so we'll support that. And if you don't live in Newport, you're never going to know that we're doing that, period. But that's a connectivity and roots that I really believe strongly and Yeti really believes. And so we'll do that and we'll go find one in San Diego and we'll go find one in and we'll go support these yacht clubs in these local communities. And then when we're there and the foundations are there, maybe you'll see a boat on America's Cup lift a sail with a big Yeti thing on it. But we will never do that before we do the groundwork. It must be somewhat challenging. Like, is there conversations around ROI that happen when you do these sort of little things, like sending the tumblers down for, yeah. for the starving babies or malnourished babies? Yeah. Like, is there ever a conversation around ROI or is it really just a commitment to say like, our, our products could help, so we're gonna just do that? Yes. So there is definitely that. And that's felt through the whole organization is like, hey, if we can help, we're gonna help. You know, there aren't very many, I don't need 900 emails about your favorite charity or whatever, but if you email me and you need like something for a charity, very rarely does that go ignored, period. And we'll find a way and we have a sponsorship thing and we'll find a way to, to help people helping others, no doubt about it. The ROI on those things, I mean, we have budgets that we stay to. This isn't a free for all or anything like that. So I can't go spend 10 million bucks on promo product, but it's one of those, those things that we have a, we have a belief system around that. So do we worry about ROI? Yeah. I mean, we, we watch our metrics on our communication strategies and our media mixes, and we see what kind of engagements we have. And we, we're not totally a bunch of hillbillies down there, but like, <laughs> um, we find that those are the little things and those are the inches that are, are really important to us. So if you guys didn't have such a steadfast commitment to the the foundation of your brand, like the, the people that are really, really strong advocates. I think it would probably be tempting to be a brand that is about um, keeping your beer cold while you get drunk on your boat yeah. kind of thing. That being said, those customers are super important. The yeah. people that are buying tumblers and all that kind of stuff for just fun. What kind of things do you do as a brand to bring these these sort of, I think you call them spectators, further into the fold. Do you worry about that? Do you try to sort of integrate them into the culture of what Yeti's about? 
as we grow, we find that we have more and more things in common with consumers. And so when we were just a hunt fish brand, if you didn't hunt or fish, you probably weren't buying a Yeti cooler. We were pit masters, period. That's all we were. And now we're branching out into culinary and cooking. And what does that mean? And when we were doing that, because two years ago, our marketing managers and community marketing started to, to think about that. And we started to hear these more trained chefs, not just these pit masters were doing that. And so as the communities grow, the commonalities to the spectators or the people who are just inspired are there. And so for us, we, we kind of let that energy flow and we feel the connectivity, even at the top, you, whether you're a bull rider or an alpinist, it's like they have a lot in common and they're actually getting along when you sit them in a room together and they're amazed by each other. And I think that that will trickle down to all the consumers. And there's going to be plenty of people who just don't get into the brand for whatever reason. But we think there's way more in common than aren't. We've got a question from the audience here. I think you referenced in your talk, one in five days you're doing an event that's, and they're always multi-day events. How big is your events team and do you own them? Four people. <laughs> oh. So, <laughs> so an event could be as big as the GoPro games, which is a massive event in Vail, or the Calgary Stampede. Calgary Stampede. We bring a crew of like 15 people up here for that. The first year we activated in the fairgrounds and we activated in a tent for only the riders and their families. So if you weren't a rider or a family member, you didn't know we were there serving dinners and hospitality for all those people. That was our building of roots and we did that for two years. And now they carry flags with our name on it through the arena. You know, we, we're, okay, well, all right, we feel, we feel good about this. And, and the people of Calgary are kind of into it. And like, we're going to show up a little bit more. We feel like we belong. And so it's just a progress. But that took three years to get there. And we're okay with that timeline. But Iowa Deer Classic, have you ever been to the Iowa Deer Classic? Show of hands. So the Iowa Deer Classic is a... In Des Moines, Iowa, they put on a whitetail deer hunting show, and we show up there with a 10 by 20. It costs 1,200 bucks to be there, and all the people in Des Moines come if you're a hunter, and they get their beef jerky, and they get their whoever's selling whatever, and we're sitting there at Yeti Coolers, just want to shake their hand and hear what they're talking about, hear what's going on in the hunting space in Iowa. Doesn't cost anything, and we send one person, maybe two. So our community marketing team, our event team is four people, and usually one person will go from the event team. But then our hunting specialist and maybe, you know, our, our person that kind of oversees our outdoor community, which includes hunt fish, and then, and I'll go. I love going to those things. And we'll show up and just talk. And so they totally range from big sort of six-figure sponsorships all the way down to like literally less than a flight to be there. And we think those things are really, really important, so... I've got a couple questions that came in around just your dedication to word of mouth. So maybe we'll kind of combine them. A lot of organizations look at word of mouth as a piece of the puzzle. They're like, yeah, we all want advocates. And we've heard Chris Nealon speak up here six years in a row now. And like, we, we get it. But everybody kind of looks at it as like, I got to have, you know, this is my advocate strategy or this is my word of mouth strategy. But over here is this is my awareness strategy. This is my whatever. You guys sort of just bypass awareness in, in some ways. It's like, 
and and we were having a conversation earlier about um, how you know sometimes a huge awareness activities actually hinder your word of mouth over here. Can you expand on that a little bit for the audience? Yeah, and you know I don't want to seem bombastic or anything like that up here either. You don't. It's okay. Um, I, I do find that balance is really important, but word of mouth. I truthfully, and this is you know, and because I'm I guess one of the leaders at at Yeti, I, I believe awareness is a derivative of relevance. I really believe that. And it will come if you are relevant, period. If you aren't relevant, then you need awareness and you need to just carpet bomb, you know? And I really believe if you're truly relevant, awareness will come. Now, it helps to push it along and fuel it and you use media and you use other ways of storytelling to try and do that. But I really believe your media can get in too far out in front of your word of mouth. And the reason why, if you are really believing word of mouth, of advocacy for your product or brand, not just, hey, did you see that movie? Oh yeah, it was awesome, let's go see the movie. It's like, did you, do you know that this holds ice? If you really believe in that strain of word of mouth, as a person, think about humanness, and back to Tom's speech every year, it was amazing, be a fucking human, like that was so right on, and like, I want to tell people stuff because I assume you don't know, period. Like that's, as humans, that's what we do. Like if I say, you know, you should really think about wearing a sports coat, Owen. Like I would never say that because he's wearing one and I know that he has, that he already knows that. And so from my perspective, media, if it gets too far out, if awareness is too far out in front and you're relying on word of mouth, you assume people know it. You, you stop talking about it because you assume people know about it. And while some people are like, that's crazy, you know, like I really do watch it. And we're lucky enough that we don't have budgets to go do crazy, crazy media buys. But in the same breath, if we get to a point where we do, like that's a balance that I really want to make sure that we, that we keep in check. So that's just, and that's more of my own personal philosophy that, you know, when I saw like the locker room talk take fire, you know, we weren't doing any media really. That, like, that was way more powerful than when we started running We Must Protect This House campaigns, period. Like, it was just, it wasn't like, yeah, you got it and it got big awareness, but like the true, like, that, that energy was going in those locker rooms. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So that's just me. It's a good word. Bill, thank you so much for being here. I yeah. really do appreciate it. It's right good thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Appreciate it. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Well, are you smiling like I am? 
You know, aside from any one specific point that Bill made, I think that the biggest takeaway for me is that I feel a sense of hope. I feel hope for our industry because Yeti is not the most sophisticated marketer or business operator. Their company is just filled with really good people doing really good things for the right reason. Their product origin story is legit. You know, they just wanted to have better products to make their hobbies more enjoyable. So they built the stuff that they wanted to use. And because of their unwillingness to compromise on the quality and because of their familiarity with the specific needs of their different customer segments, they just keep making stuff that really enhances the activities that we love doing. I don't know about your experience about where you live, but for me here in Calgary, as I did my Christmas shopping this past year at the mall, I was shocked at how many stores were carrying Yeti products. Most of these stores had nothing to do with sporting equipment or even the outdoors. They just wanted Yeti hats and t-shirts and tumblers and coolers on their shelves because they wanted to draft off of Yeti's momentum and their uh, brand equity. And that is how you know you have obtained cult-like status. When seemingly disconnected organizations and institutions are proactively reaching out to you and begging to partner with you in some way, it's because you have something that they don't, which is relevance and brand attachment. Yeti has achieved an emotional connection with consumers that causes them to seek them out and to look for more ways to associate with them. Now that you've listened to Yeti's story, you know a bit more about what good actually looks like. Please don't just listen to these podcasts, take action, apply the principles that Bill shared and begin the journey of achieving your own cult-like status. Until next time, be well. Once again, this is your host, Chris Neeland. And you've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets, where we explore the great speakers and insights shared at The Gathering, a Forbes top-rated business summit. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast app. It really helps. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcast.com. Special thanks to Connor Standish and Laura Winter for their assistance in making this podcast possible. Also, I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. 
Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.